0: Welcome everyone to Butterflies and Bravery. Thank you for joining us today or tonight, whatever it might be, in your neck of the woods when you're listening to this. My name is Whisper, your host, and my beloved BFF, Jemima, your other host, is here today. This is an episode we don't have a guest today, but... There's a few things going on in our personal ex-cult member community that we are going to chat about. So, I guess we should give a warning. We might. Warn yeah, we might. We might end up talking about suicide and some of that because we've recently lost a couple of fellow soldiers. More? <laughs> so that, yeah more that's something that you know is it's not easy to discuss and it's not easy to listen to so yeah, you know. come back and listen to this one you feel like i was gonna tell you about this situation that i have at work to my mom yeah where yeah the people where this survivor is they are very well connected in the community like personal friends with the mayor personal friends with the chief of police, but they themselves don't have any background in social work or anything like that. They were actually restauranters <laughs> and they opened a nonprofit to help employ survivors and give them an opportunity to work somewhere without having to do a background check, that kind of thing. But... The survivors running into some conflict there because there's things that are going on that she feels pretty strongly about that this is not right. And if we went by what I've been told, <laughs> it's definitely not right. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting because I'm in a position right now where we're trying to f- figure out best next steps. And it's the first time I think I've been in a situation like this where it's a serious situation that I want to not bring any of my personal opinions into. But it's this balance, like this sort of this dance that I have to do because one of the positions that I hold is survivor voice (laughs) in at at our organization. Like, I mean, that's one of the things I'm supposed to do is be able to speak for survivors. And yet we also just can't run around freaking out at every story we hear too. It's just, it was so easy for me to put myself into that position of where we need to talk to the other party sort of a thing. And it's a weird, I guess technically it's true. In most cases, you want to hear both sides to the story, but when a survivor comes up and says, I'm being exploited or I've been attacked, I've been assaulted, let me talk to the other person. I don't know exactly the best route to take, but the thing that is very clear, and I've learned this just in the time that I've been working there now is there's no oversight whatsoever on any of these organizations. Someone could just go out and start a nonprofit and say, we're going to, we're going to help these people, the formerly trafficked, formerly abused, formerly, whatever it might be. And there's no oversight. If they were minors, there'd be all kinds of things involved with the background checks and oversights and all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing in that for the trafficking world. And it's scary and sad at the same time. I know the city that this organization, the, the one that I work in is in the general area, There is like a human trafficking task force that's a coalition of different law enforcement and some victim advocates, things like that. But there's no laws in place. There's not really anything in place. Yeah, they're just, yeah. One of the things that's happening in this particular situation is that the organization that is employing this survivor is also in her finances or in her budget, supposedly helping them budget or helping them, I don't know, what, whatever that is. But regardless, can you imagine if your employer was like, okay, now that I've paid you, let me see where you're spending your money. Let me help you budget your money. Can you imagine? It's like, this isn't supposed to be happening, but it's really hard to advocate When you're up against, I would go to the police, but they're personal friends with the police chief. I just really feel for the survivor in this situation because how many times have we been there? Sacrifices to the politics of the day. You never got believed, no matter what you said.
1: Yeah. And then we tend to put ourselves in those situations accidentally. Yes. (laughs) Because of our trauma.
0: (laughs) Yep. We don't see the exploitation Until it's too late, until we're halfway through and we're like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, It's the ugly side sometimes of what we have to work with or what we're dealing with. But I'm definitely thinking of getting more involved with any survivor networks in the area and that type of a thing. Because it feels like there should be something more that we can do. Cause I don't think there's any survivors on this t- task force. For example, I don't think there's any survivors and that's <laughs> very problematic. <laughs> very yes.
1: Problem. Very problematic. Very um, problematic. It's hard to see somebody else's side when you've never actually been on that side of the road. Yeah, exactly. You don't know what it looks
0: like from over there. Right. You exactly. Can imagine, But you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Just like I would never come in in to to anybody who's been, for example, trafficked on the street and even like, oh, let me tell you what to do, because that's not my personal experience. I can definitely tell you what it's like to be dealing with the trauma and the after effects of being mistreated. But I can't speak specifically and I never would. We do need more of that. There's a few organizations and a few places that are. That were founded and led by ex survivors, but not in our area. Not in our area. Right. There's one in particular, and I'm completely like my brain, like completely is failing me what the name of her nonprofit is. But she went back to school, she got her master's, and she's been studying how closely related human trafficking is to cults. And I was like, that's an interesting connection there. I'm like, would be quite interested to hear what she has to say about that because we are on the cult side of exploitation. They call it human trafficking, but it's modern day slavery, modern day exploitation. And then she would be coming from the side of the being sex trafficked or whatever was her particular experience. It'd be interesting to hear how she came to that and how she started going down that road because I know that's something that We've only recently started talking more about how we as children born into these cults were trafficked. Yes. Not what people might picture immediately of little kids out on this Well, we were out on the street. We're not prostitutes on the corner or the sidewalk, but There's there other was traff- an environment. Yeah, exactly. There's a whole other environment,
1: which... Even that is only one tiny part of the sex trafficking. Really? I think what a lot of people think of, oh, girls in cages. Okay, you're literally going to the worst place. A lot
0: of other trafficking that happens, yeah. it's not that severe. Well, when you think of something that extreme, it's easy to disassociate with it. That's not what's happening here. I right. can look over there and be like,
2: oh.
0: the reason why I keep saying that, these different things I've been investigating because I was working on some survivor stories to put together for our website. There was this one woman, she's freaking incredible. She was actually trafficked, familial trafficking is what they call it. And she said she was quite young when she realized that it was very socially acceptable to talk about human trafficking, but it was very socially unacceptable to be a survivor of human trafficking. And I was like, that's the key, sort of, that's the bottom line of what a lot of us end up dealing with is, oh my gosh, how horrible it's in that documentary. I'm going to gasp and say that shouldn't ever happen. But when we come face to face with somebody from our life and, oh, here's my story. They're like, uh, I can't do a deal. <laughs> Gotta go. Not to blame anyone. It's a lot easier to digest things when it's somewhat disassociated you don't know anyone personally or it's it's not your neighbor trafficking it's his kids or your nephew out on the streets or whatever it might be yeah. so that's just the theme of <laughs> theme of the month is bringing people to see the truth of what's going on that is relatable, that is right in their backyard, that is right next door. Because that's the majority of the trafficking that happens. That's the majority of what's going on. And the numbers yep. that are everywhere are only going to be able to come down once more people understand what they're looking for or what is the possibility. Unfortunately, sometimes that's what our, story, that's what our stories are, is to make people aware that this shit does happen. And first of all, believe survivors. And second of all, yeah, like the parts that we can play is by listening to survivors and then looking around in our own life of what are we doing? What am I changing? What kind of difference am I making? Whether it's in my own life or with the people that I hang out with, all that personal responsibility. Yeah. Right before we started recording, we are talking about overdosing, right? accidental overdosing and that that itself is a form of suicide because you're in so much pain that you're actually coming to the point where you even if you don't have a previous plan yeah you're still at that place where you don't care if you are going to die or not just as long as you can get rid of the pain and that's that is really that's the step that's the closest you get to to actually taking your life is in that place
1: and accidental overdoses too like me for example when i was sold Klonopin instead of percocet and i took five of them that was an accidental like i had no idea that i was overdosing at all but (laughs) i was already in that place where i was having to take that much percocet yeah I'd escalated so much that I needed 10 times the normal amount. Yeah. That was the point in my life where I didn't care, too. I almost broke. I couldn't take it. That's when I had my mental breakdown after that. It was all just escalating to that point. I don't think you've ever, like, accidentally overdosed, have you?
0: No. The most I've done would be like drinking myself to blackout kind of a thing.
1: That's what I was going to say, drinking so much that you could have died.
0: Right, yes. And that is definitely when there's a place there that you don't care. Yeah. It's all pain, though, whether it is that you no longer care because you don't value yourself. There's so much going on, or in my case, when I did come so close to to unaliving myself it was I just couldn't see a way forward there was just yes. no way forward and I definitely was at the place where I was like I am just like baggage I'm extra weight in this yeah. world and that's yes that was really how I felt because yeah. you can't see anything else when you're there no nothing
1: (laughs) that was all day every day the only thing i could think about
0: was how can i die yeah definitely forgotten i think even till we started this podcast when we interviewed christina i think i'd forgotten how often though that i was there as a teenager obviously it got more serious <laughs> once i was out here on my own and an adult with money that actually can make things happen but in the situation back when we were still when we were still stuck in the cult i didn't have any ability to make it happen but i would daydream i would pick, i would just i would just sit and spend so much of my time just picturing whatever might accident or this sickness or something to take me out i would think about that all the time that's sad I think that aside from the. aside from a fucking ridiculous trauma that we're all healing through and dealing with, and I definitely think that the suicides are the biggest devastation that the cult has brought to yes. us. And I'm sure there's some situations where the first generation, because just. There, are. Num- yeah, just by that, just numbers that you're going to have a, a certain percentage of people, regardless of their background, that come to that point, unfortunately. But it's n- nothing even remotely close to what's going on in the second generation.
1: Yeah, it's murder. <sighs> I think it's murder. I feel like, yeah, we didn't all die. By drinking the Kool Aid, but we are all still dying because mm-hmm. we did drink the Kool Aid. Yeah, it's just like those extended effect pills. <laughs> <laughs> it's still it's a it's very still slow. In our <laughs> we got to get it out. Yeah, but yeah, it's it just it devastates me every time, and it happens all the time. I can't believe it, and our awareness of it really is within our circle which is ridiculous it's literally like every couple months yeah and that's people that we personally know or we grew
0: up with yeah that's not even counting like how many thousands of children were born into we don't have connection with all of those it's not yeah so times that by whatever we personally know of and hear of <laughs> by whatever, five, six times that.
1: All the cults in the world that have killed people that are still killing people. Yeah. sad. I really think it's murder. It is.
0: It's like what happened with Ricky. There's some people that take very hard and fast opinions about that, that murder is always wrong, but he's not really the one who did who murdered was his mother yes. his, his mother is the one who pulled the knife yep. long before Ricky ever did. Yeah. And that's the same story with the, the ones that we've lost to suicide. Even high
1: speed car accidents or all of these dangerous things that people do for thrills and then they end up dying from it in a way too, like that's suicide too. Because well, you just don't care. You're in the fuck it phase.
0: Yeah. And or you're chasing a high that you've grown accustomed to.
1: Yeah. Uh- or just trying to be happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sad. Makes but, me yeah. sad. It feels so unfair.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole fucking heck of a lot <laughs> about being a child of a cult that is pretty fucking unfair. <laughs> yeah.
1: What
0: was that quote? Something about the unfortunate. basically the unluck of of where you were born into the family that you were born in it's not it's another big reason too why it really like irks me when people want to start talking about oh just choose happy just just manifest your dreams and it oh my god because could i like please manifest myself unborn because that's the really that's the place that it started (laughs) the butterfly effect not a great movie but do you remember where he just ha- kept going back and back until finally he was he tried to, to kill himself in the womb? That was the solution. It wasn't a it wasn't a, about abuse or anything like that, but that's how far back any of us have to go to, to see where some of this started. Yeah. Whatever it is that whatever it is that we're facing. Yep.
1: I've just been reading about that and the body keeps the score. Yes. So amazing. So like this doctor took eight people with significant trauma that had given them ptsd and they recreated the trauma that had happened to them they had like somebody reading it tell them their story or write down their story and then somebody would read it to them while they were in the brain scanner and all the parts of the brain were activated that aren't supposed to be activated unless you're actually in the situation they were actually activated and then the speech shuts down all the controlling of your actions and body and your ability to think critically goes completely offline. And you actually feel the same emotions and the same, like, it's like you were there. When people Mm -hmm. say it's like I was there, it's because it was in your brain. Your brain doesn't know that you're not actually there. Your brain feels like I'm right there right now. And that's what happens every time you get triggered. So, yeah. Scientific proof, people. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just a get over it thing. No. You can reprogram your brain, but it takes years. And every trigger... You have to reprogram yourself from every single trigger that you have. Yeah. Which, depending on your trauma, there could be hundreds of thousands. In our case, there's almost nothing you can do that's not triggering. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Truthfully, that's a lot to overcome. Yeah, A a lot to heal, a lot to heal through. Yeah. Oh, and... Dude, <laughs> I listened to the podcast, The Myth of Normal, with Dr. Gabor Mate and Dr. David Kessler. Oh, I think that's who it was with. Dr. Gabor Mate. <laughs> He's my favorite. He said healing is available to everyone. Right. Whenever you don't feel like healing is available to you, it's because your brain is back in the trauma it's back in that spot where you were traumatized and triggered and it's back in that place. And in that place, you know that there's no escape because you're trapped and there's nothing you can do about it as a child or whatever. But
0: if you bring your brain to now, which is why a lot of times the only way through for me when I was back then was I'll do it tomorrow (laughs) because it it gives your it gives because all it needs is just one little shift
1: yeah one little shift you're always one thought away from the solution
0: I love that quote that says you never never blame your soul for doing what it needs to do to survive and I think Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest reminder to anyone who gets into that place is just something is going to shift. Yeah. Yes. It's not ta- It's not taking away anything about where you are, where the person is right now. It's not minimizing that at all. Because sometimes that's the worst thing to, la- oh, it's not really that bad. Oh, it's not, like, none of that. That's fucking bullshit. Shut up. It's... What can you do to hold on just for a little longer until something shifts? That's why a lot of us, it was our kids that kept us holding on. Yes. As ironic as it was, as it is, the fact that we were not allowed to choose to have children or not. In some ways, that rule, for some of the damage that it did to our lives, it also is the only reason some of us are alive.
1: Today. Yes. hundred percent agree with that statement. That's yeah. true for me. And I think oh. it's true for a lot of us. I, I would knows. have been so lost without my child. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't even think I would have cared. Like, I don't think I would have cared no. if I lived or died. I'm pretty sure I'd be dead. I'm quite sure actually I'd be dead. Cause I'm sure that I would have just whoop, gone off the deep end. Mm. I didn't really care about myself at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm no 100% me too. I would not. I, there's no doubt about <laughs> the fact that I would not be here. I know that I would not be here. Yeah. And sometimes a solution doesn't have to be something. It can look like anything. Let's just put it that way. It doesn't have to look a certain way because when the full weight of what had really been done to us and what had really happened was starting to fall on me this was years ago back in new york and i was done i was done then and this my kids were little it's a longer involved story but i got upset i got angry like not upset like upset but like angry pissed off my ex for not not doing not doing something that i really needed in the moment to stay alive but for whatever reason instead of going okay fuck it like why does it matter which is probably would have been my reaction 98 percent of the time but in that moment it was I got so pissed off I was like fine I'm gonna steal your money and I'm gonna go (laughs) and learn to drive and boom that shifted again so it doesn't necessarily always have to look like something super positive even it's just to keep you around keep you holding on until things come back around again and starts looking better
1: Yes. Don't make a permanent choice for a temporary feeling.
0: Yeah, no, I like that quote, but.
1: It's not so temporary for
0: a lot of us. (laughs) And it never even felt temporary either. Like it, I was like, okay, I can't. That was that whole feeling. I cannot deal with this another day. I cannot spend my entire night sobbing and watching my kids not have food. Or what whatever the pain is that you're going through at the time and it's so that's part of the problem is that it, it does sound nice to say don't make a permanent decision on a temporary emotion, but it does not feel temporary when
1: you're there. okay, I got a better one. Don't make a permanent decision for a temporary situation. Cause your situation is going to change tomorrow. Five seconds later, your situation's different. Cause now you're in the future. <laughs> that makes yeah. more sense, right? Yeah. To me, it does. Yeah. I felt the same way about the emotion part. I'm like, but how temporary is 20 years of feeling that way?
0: It Not become temporary 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Yeah. And then a lot of times I know I felt this way a lot and i've heard people express this of that that fear of things getting worse again too because especially once you've gotten older past a certain amount of years there's certain patterns there's cycles that you start to see no matter how healthy or unhealthy your brain may be there's patterns there's cycles and That was another thing that was so difficult is like being in those horrible, dark places. Even if I could picture, okay, maybe tomorrow this is going to get better. Maybe something's coming up. Maybe this is going to change. I was also terrified of coming back there again, because I believed that no matter what, I was going to come back there because of how like, my brain was. And that's another thing sometimes I think where people have felt that disbelief of but they were getting better but they were doing better that that fear of having to face that darkness again is just as devastating as being in it at least it was for at least it was for me yeah and I I know I'm sure it's a it's a branch of the fight-or-flight response but just always waiting for that shoe to drop that other shoe to drop yep and Sometimes that was just so much more hopeless than even the really dark place you were in is having to come back to it. Because yeah, of course we're like fucking warriors. Okay, what we've been through what we put up with shit. So it sometimes it's not even in that moment, in that that very dark moment. It's the idea of having to come back to it again over and over and
1: that's a sword dangling over your head on a thread.
0: <laughs> it feels like that though, doesn't it? What What can be done? The one documentary that I was involved in, that was their big thing. That was actually supposed to be the premise of the whole documentary is we keep dying. What can be done about it? And at the end of the documentary, we were talking about, I think putting some type of support system in place, but that hasn't materialized. I don't know if it will or how it could. But how do we watch out for each other? I, I don't know what the answer is. There's a few of us on social media that have been quite upfront about the struggles that they've seen. I'm somebody that I don't get on social media almost at all. I wouldn't know that I'm struggling, even in person, let alone on, on social media. But there are some, some who do talk about their struggle and talk about the things that they're going through on social media. So when they come online and say, guys, I don't think I can do this anymore. Yeah, 95% of us are jumping up, going like, somebody call them, somebody call them, make sure that they're answering their phone. Like we, we have that reaction, but that's only because the few and far between who are very open and upfront or just vocal about the struggles that they're facing check on the quiet ones, check on the strong ones. Check on the ones that are quiet,
1: because whatever's not coming out of their mouth is going on in their head. Yeah. I really think that. Because a lot of people don't ever tell anybody what they're doing, what they're thinking, just all of a sudden they're gone. Yeah, Like, we were just at the movies yesterday, what the hell? It's not usually, okay everybody, tomorrow at 4 p.m i'm gonna do this yeah for well sure. because a lot of people don't want to because then everybody's oh you're just trying to get attention you didn't kill yourself last time you said that it's like what did you want them to kill themselves <laughs> yeah. that's the worst thing you can do is think that people are just trying to get attention
0: it's the same mentality of people like oh they're just making up the abuse
1: and if they are trying to get attention, they probably fucking need it. If you're going to that length? Yes. You need it from somebody. You need something from somebody that you're not getting. There's some connection that you desperately need that you're not making. Did you ever call the suicide hotline? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was parked in Tacoma out in front of the <laughs> fucking summer, one of those technical colleges. Yeah. Just I'm fucking going to kill myself right now. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fine, I'll call the hotline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still I've, here,
0: so. I've called the hotline a few times too, but it was enough to shift whatever was going on in my head in that moment. It definitely was. Yes. Um, but it was also very fucking depressing to talk because whoever was on the other, line, other end would always be like, I'm sorry, what happened to you? I can't tell you how many because they're not—they're not a therapist at the other end, right? They're a, an empathetic and sympathetic voice, but they're your yeah. the average good Samaritan. But they so many times they would be like, "I'm surprised that you haven't killed somebody by now. I'm surprised that you aren't in jail. I'm surprised. I'm surprised I that you that aren't lot. a fucking drug addict." And I'm like, I, I and I'm like, oh, okay, lot. thank you. That really doesn't help at all. It actually is just more depressing because, like, I'm calling the suicide hotline and they're like dude fuck
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's when they're like excuse me what you grew up in a what (laughs) what happened
0: (laughs) oh my god yeah but it's the same it's the same situation when so many of us try to go for you know for, for for therapy or to see a doctor or whatever, you get that same reaction a lot of times. It's just people, it's so over the head of a lot of mental health workers or mental health departments. And that's, that's a huge factor as well. Yeah. Yes. It is indeed i used to daydream about if i had if money was not an option was not an an obstacle of funding a hotline for those of us ex-cult kids that have been through like some of the most traumatic stuff
1: not just on the other end isn't going to be like what the fuck oh my god they'll just be like dude i get it yeah exactly fuck yeah i can relate that's a lot more comforting
0: yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot more.
1: Otherwise it just feels like cult porn. That's what I call it. Cult porn where everybody's just like, Ooh, tell yeah. me your story.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now cults are becoming, it's they're much more talked about these days than they were even five years ago, but definitely more than even 10 years ago. So there's futuristically yeah. There's a lot of hope, I think, for what the mental health, what the mental health world is going to look like for people that have been through those experiences, because it is true. Like I was telling you earlier about the, the trafficked survivor who was <laughs> looking into like how similar cults are to, to trafficking. There's a lot about that, just that coercive thinking that we were talking about in our class like that. There's this there's a certain type of injury that comes from that that is really different from another kind of trauma because it's it's a strangulation of your personhood when that happens. When you are forced, coerced, pushed into a place of doing things that are not your nature or even worse, are not even human nature. That's a very deep type of wound. That's not the same as living through a shooting or being in a war zone or something like that. And I'm not absolutely fucking not comparing. This is not to say one is worse or better. It's just different. Sometimes what comes on top of that is, is that, hopelessness it doubles down on that a little bit because you've been living at least for some period of time with that devastation of losing who you are losing touch with your free will and it's not something that happened to you it's deeper than that and it's I think that might be one of the reasons why we do see more of the struggle to, to stick around from from us who had to face that. And for us being born in the cult, you can't find who we were because we never were. (laughs) Right.
1: There was no before. There wasn't a before,
0: but you don't also just fall into knowing who you are it's once the restrictions or the coercion is no longer there. You don't just it's not like falling out of the bed. Oh, I guess it's time to wake up. That's just not how it works. It's like a long, long, drawn out process of learning who you are, even what that looks like. What does that look like? It's at least for me these last couple of years, it's been such, such a big deal uh, of realizing that I have ADHD because I never even knew that because of the way that my life was mandated up until just recently. So I'm like way over the age that anybody should be realizing that kind of stuff about themselves. And it's, Sometimes I feel like stupid, like a fucking child when I'll talk to somebody about it and be like, oh my God, I I saw this, I saw this TikTok or I saw this video or I read this thing about, do you remember I was telling you the other day, somebody I was reading about again, and they were talking about patterns and it it was like, don't schedule yourself like, okay, at eight o'clock, I'm going to do the dishes. And then at nine o'clock, I'm going to clean my room, but like actually make it a pattern. Like first I gather the silverware, then I stack the cups. Then, I, like, basically taking away your a uh, decision making process, which is what s- tends to stump us. <laughs> I, that was a bit of a tangent, but my, my it's weird to me that I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's a that that's an amazing insight. I'm like heading towards fifty, and that's an insight I'm realizing. That right there is just part of the the after effect of being born into being born as a prisoner of war and. I think sometimes that can also be discouraging and what looks hopeless too is <sighs> I'm grateful like that. I spent a lot of time talking about it and looking at it too. But for a long time, I believed I was too broken to heal. So did I.
1: Yep. Actually well, I did until just the other day when I heard that podcast. <sighs> when Dr. Gabor-Mate <laughs> was like, healing is available to everyone. I was like, hold the phone. <laughs> Wait, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> and then when he said that, it seemed so
0: logical. Oh my God, of course that's what it is. Yeah, it's really hard to have a response to things when you don't believe that there's a solution. And I maybe had I known 25 years ago, that I was going to have to be dealing with learning how to work from home on my own and figure out how to deal with ADHD. I don't know. I, I might have been pretty discouraged back then, too. And I sometimes, so sometimes that's, it's like, it's, it's okay. Yes, I know. I know that there is a direction I can go, but fuck, that's exhausting. And I'm too tired to do that. We were fucking exhausted when we were 14 years old. We have been exhausted since the team was tacked on to the end of our age.
1: Yep. Soldiers for Jesus.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You're in God's army. You're his elite troops. (laughs) When I think about what can I do for, what can we do for each other? What can I do for my fellow, (laughs) my fellow prisoners of war? There's, So much that you're up against. You're not just up against the trauma. You're not just up against living your life under coercion and being stripped of your personhood. You're not just dealing with the exhaustion of, I don't want to go anywhere. Like, I don't want to get healed. I just want to, like, enjoy my life to the point until I wear out and it's stacked on top of stack. I'm not trying to say this to make it sound hopeless, just that I'm just saying I understand. We talk about it. We talk about why it's everybody dying (laughs) or what can we do about everybody dying and it's hard to find something right away that can be done. There's definitely not anything simple that can be done, that's for sure.
1: No, I think the only simple thing that we can do is check on each other. Yeah,
0: and be better at or be more okay with being honest. Yes, yeah. People, it's okay to not be okay, as the popular saying goes. But also, it's like, if someone's having problems or being problematic, say in our community online. Most of us just distance ourselves. We just, okay, just you sort that out. Instead of this is whatever you might be, tell someone the truth. Yeah. Don't just unfriend them. (laughs) Right. Be like, no, okay, something's going on. What is it? Or this is whatever you're doing is making me uncomfortable and a lot of us uncomfortable and we want to know what's going on. Like those are conversations we're so scared to have. At least I'm sure I am. I'm so not, scared right. to have those yep. conversations. For sure, it's hard. It's but, hard. But those can be as helpful as checking on each other as well.
1: Yes, I agree. If somebody's having a lot of really destructive behavior, yeah, don't just not do anything about it. Be like, dude, what's up? You're drinking like a whole bottle of vodka every
0: night. Okay, we need to <laughs>
1: figure out why. Yeah. not just be like, "Ew, you're an alcoholic." Bye, bye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's the point of talking about the things that we are up against that might be a little bit different or a little bit more compacted. That's the other reason why sometimes talking about the specific challenges we are up against is to understand that on a certain level we are the only ones who can save. We're the only ones who can save ourselves. But also, we are. A lot of times, the only ones who can save each other, too. We are not an island. No one is an island. And yes, you can't expect someone to come to your rescue and be your white knight in shining armor. But you also can play that role. Don't expect it, but you can play that role for somebody else if they need it. And obviously, we all need it pretty badly. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah, some people just need somebody to talk to. Yeah
0: or yeah of course a lot of times too there's just there's just you can do everything you can do everything talk talk to them open you like yeah do everything that should be done and the outcome is going to be the same because that's that was just a decision that 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 person made so as painful yeah. as that is that's part of Yeah, that's part of the choice. I know. This is a while back. People don't say it anymore. Thankfully, that whole saying of that suicide is selfish is that that always bothered me because I. Granted, if someone takes themselves out of the equation, it's going to hurt people that are left behind. If it's someone that I love, someone that I'm close to. Uh, it's going to devastate me but at the same time like I would never be the person that says stay around for me please live in your pain please live in this world that makes no sense for you because I need you here because I want you here and, I did that, that. <laughs> <laughs> But what about me? And and it's super normal reaction, super fucking normal reaction. I just mean that sometimes there isn't anything that you can do it and it's not. But what about the people you're leaving behind? Sometimes that's not going to make a difference or that's not going to matter at that point anymore. It's not that they don't love you. It's not like that they care. It's right. In their
1: mind, the reasons to leave outweigh the reasons to stay for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Yeah. Sad. Really sad.
0: <sighs> I think the most hopeful thing I have to say is I'm still here, <laughs> and I and I figure if, if I'm still around, there's there's hope, there's hope for for better days. Yes, I I almost lost one of my kids to this. I did lose my god kid to this to suicide and there were many it wasn't just days and it wasn't just months there were a couple years there that I didn't think I was going to come out of it I wasn't going to come out of the complete shit show (laughs) war zone that was my life (laughs) but but I'm so glad I did I so I'm so glad that I stuck around yes because where I am today doing the things that i'm doing today i wouldn't have i wouldn't have imagined myself so right i would say i'm pretty hopeful <laughs> I I'm love hope story
1: <laughs> i always wanted to do things that i'm doing today like this podcast and working mm-hmm. with nonprofits i just never thought it was possible for me i thought i'm too broken there's just I'm too fucked up. Everybody says I'm fucked up. So I guess I'm fucked up. The psychiatrist tell you you're fucked up. Then shit, what help do you have? That's the way I felt. Yeah. If they tell me I'm supposed to be drooling in a corner because of all my trauma, then, you know, it makes you feel like, oh, okay. I guess that's probably what should be happening. (laughs) That's how I feel (laughs) a lot of times. But somehow I Uh pull through. And yes, I believe that if we're here, there's hope. There's hope. I never thought that I would own a house or any of the things that that's happening in my life right now. I dreamed about them, but I just didn't
0: think it was possible. And yet
1: here I am.
0: Yeah. Even just not just what I'm doing and who I am, but even my surroundings. I live five minutes from the beach in a two bedroom, two bath paying less than most people in the area are paying for one bedroom. And I couldn't have pictured that happening. I couldn't have ever pictured that I would ever be that lucky to come across something like that. That is for sure the hopefulness. And to, to tack on to that, yes, we did spend quite a bit of time talking about the things that we're up against. But when we're all still here. In spite of the things that we're up against, it's just that much more amazing. It's that many more pats you can put you can put on your back because even if just to prove them wrong is a good enough yes. reason sometimes to stick around. So that's
1: true too. That was another <laughs> thing that motivated me all the time. Every time I was at that, okay, fuck it point, I'm ready to die. I was like, but wait then they're going to win. Ooh, mm-hmm. no, I don't yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I never wanted them to win. I That's been seriously something that's really kept me around yeah. because I felt like my demons were winning if I did that. And I just don't want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I did want to lots of times, but there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it takes a long time. It took both of us almost 20 years, didn't it? After we left the cult to get our shit together and start actually building a life instead of just scraping out survival. Yes. It was about 20 years, wasn't it? Yeah. For me, that was yeah. a 20 year
0: hike. Yeah. All uphill. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was, I thought things were going to go one way for a little while there. Yeah. When I was going down my business career right place back when I was running the, my half marathon, I'm not that, that place. And that's where I crashed. From. But yeah, that's, it was a lot of scraping and, Scrapping to to get where we are today, that's for sure. Yes.
1: I was just thinking about it today. This is phase three. Oh, yes. Phase one, (laughs) cult. Okay. Phase two, trying to learn how to escape the cult. Phase three, building Jemima land. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, this is phase three. I feel like this is phase three. I feel like all that now is the time where I yeah work on myself and make my life better. Yeah. And try to help other people make their lives better too. For sure. Ooh, I know something hopeful. I posted on Facebook today, actually just a little bit before we started this. So I had a memory come up on Facebook, September sixth, twenty twelve. We're selling a Super Bowl game ball with autographs from the 49ers trying to pay rent. Anybody interested? <laughs> and that motivated me to think about all the things that I've gone through since that time because that was around the time when I was very suicidal. When I was ready to just any day was yeah, be that the last day.
0: Yeah, and that, that was around that was around when my shit was going on too. Yes. So uh, yeah. yeah, so these last ten years for you and I have been huge. Yeah. So. Yeah. I quit a
1: very heavy opiate addiction. I quit drinking after thirteen years of alcohol addiction. I got addicted to and quit meth in that ten years. I quit smoking after eighteen years. I've been cigarette free for four years. I was in People Magazine and a People Magazine Investigates documentary and quite a few other newspaper and magazine articles. We bought a house. Mm -hmm. I've held a steady job for over eight years after being fired five times in a row. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Whisper had the idea to start a podcast, and we did. And it's been going strong for a year and a half. And that's what you're listening to. And I've made leaps and bounds in my recovery, especially since starting the podcast. I feel like the podcast has been a very healing journey for both of us. Like we've said many times, we're healing in public so you can heal in private. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: So there is hope. Yes. We're both here to tell you (laughs) there is hope. The sun will shine again. There may still be clouds in the sky, (laughs) but it's not always going to be as dark as it is today. Where there's life, there's hope. As long
0: as we're still breathing,
1: (laughs) there's still hope.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny for everything that we went through and every fucking OHR that we ever wrote, we actually aren't very good at navel gazing.
1: No, because we made all that shit up. I made every fucking word of every fucking OHR up. Because if you wrote anything real, you were going to get isolated and punished and having to do with toilets and digging outside from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., which when you're in fucking Thailand and it's 120, like that's a death sentence. Yes. <laughs> that's yep. why we didn't. Yeah, we, didn't, we don't know who we are. We couldn't really figure it yeah, out because just who we, the way back. Our, our real us was locked in a cage in the way very back of our hearts and minds and souls. Yeah, to just survive. And now we're chill, still trying to figure it out. <laughs> That's part of the fun, though, right? <laughs> yes. I hope I it's not like it's- not too heavy for people. It might be for some people. It'll be one of those things that you'll be like, I'll listen to that when I'm ready. Yes. Yeah. And that's okay. Absolutely. That's fine. Sometimes you're not prepared. Your soul is not ready to go somewhere and you just have to wait until it is. And when it is, you're like, okay, let's go. Don't push yourself too hard. We all push ourselves too hard. Sometimes we just need to be like, okay, let's just slow down here a little bit, stay brave, and remember that every butterfly was once a caterpillar. (laughs)
0: That's right.